Well, good evening, Harvest. Uh, it's been such a blessing for my family to be part of this church the last two years. We've been just tremendously encouraged by the ministry here, and it's a great uh, privilege then to open God's Word with you. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking uh, tonight at uh, Mark chapter 7. We'll focus on verses 14 through 23, but I'd like to, to start our reading in verse 1 to give us uh, a bit of the context here. So Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then looking at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Since the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the uh, brutally honest picture it paints of our hearts, of our lives, of our sinful natures. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the gospel of grace in these words. That you would help us to see our heart more clearly but also to see the heart of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, parents, I want you to imagine with me that you're sitting at home in your living room, and you hear the back door open, and you look up, and you see your kids walking in from playing outside, and you immediately notice that they are completely covered, head to toe, 
in mud. And of course, they're heading into the living room where you've just put in nice, new, expensive, and of course, white carpet. Uh, what do you do? Kids, how do you think your parents would respond? Well, I think every parent in this room would respond the same way. You would jump into action because you recognize that that dirt, that mud, needs to be dealt with. The kids don't always make that connection, but the parents see it very clearly. Well, Jesus shows us in our passage tonight that in many ways, we are like little kids who don't see the dirt we carry. We don't see the mud we're covered in. We don't see that we need to be clean. But Jesus, in our passage, shows us our uncleanness. And he does it for a gracious reason. He reveals our guilt so that he might redeem us from it. And so as we walk through this passage, and we look especially at this, this theme of what it means to be clean and unclean, uh, we want to look at three things together tonight. You have them in your bulletin there. Uh, first, the, the uncleanness of our hearts. Second, the darkness of our understanding. And then finally, the, the gift of our guilt. So as we look at first the uncleanness of our hearts, we have to start by asking ourselves, what does it mean to be unclean? What's, what's the significance of uncleanness in the Bible? Why is Jesus talking about this? Well, when Jesus takes up this theme of, of uncleanness or defilement, as our text sometimes calls it, he's, he's doing so in response to the Pharisees. We saw right in verse 1 that the Jewish leaders had sent a, a delegation up to listen to Jesus, specifically to pick a fight with him, to, to find fault with his ministry. And they quickly find something uh, to criticize. Uh, they notice that Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. Now, kids, if, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, your mom might send you back to the sink because she doesn't want you to spread germs, right? Uh, but that's not what the Pharisees are worried about. Uh, we shouldn't conflate the idea of clean and unclean with sanitary and unsanitary. They're actually two different concepts. Uh, when the Jews talked about being clean or unclean, uh, they're not worried about physical sickness. They're worried about spiritual fitness. For, for them, it's, it's a ritual issue. Uh, maybe the closest thing we have in our modern day would be seen in the practice of, of, of modern Muslims who, who only eat food that is halal, or, or modern Jews who continue the practice of the Pharisees and, and only eat food that's kosher. For these first century Jews, this was not just kind of a small, minor thing. It was a big problem. We have to kind of work a little bit, don't we, to understand the significance of this. It's a bit foreign to our culture, but it's something that the Jews that Jesus was speaking to would have understood perfectly well. Uh, you see, God had made it clear in the Old Testament that nothing that is unclean can come into His presence. If you've done one of those read through the Bible in a year programs, you know, you hit Leviticus and maybe you kind of slow down uh, because it's just overwhelming the, the, the number of things that, that God lists that um, are related to these themes, clean and unclean, pure and impure, and we can sometimes get overwhelmed, but the big picture is, is, is really very clear. It's very important that we are clean and not unclean. If you were unclean, 
you could not gather with God's people. You could not come into God's presence. You could not be part of the life of the temple. If you were unclean, you could not even allow someone else to touch you or your uncleanness would spread to them. This is a serious matter. It meant that you were cut off from God. You're guilty. And until you could be made clean again, usually by making a sacrifice or some sort of ritual of washing, you weren't even allowed to approach God or His people. That's the significance of being unclean. It doesn't just mean your hands are dirty. It means you yourself are defiled and you're cut off from all communion with God and man. And the Jews got this. They understood the significance of uncleanness. But Jesus shows that they didn't get the source of uncleanness. What is it that can make a person unclean? What causes it? Well, the Jews would have said, uh, it's the things outside of you that you have to watch out for. So they would say things like, you know, don't, don't eat that, don't, don't touch this, don't come into contact with anyone or anything that's been affected by uncleanness or you'll become unclean. That's why the Jews were so worried about the disciples not washing their hands. Not only were they unclean, other people could become unclean because of what they were not doing. They really believed that uncleanness was something that came from the outside in. But when Jesus answers that question, what is it that makes us unclean, he has a very different answer, doesn't he? He says, it's, it's not the things outside of you that are the source of your uncleanness. Look at what he says in verse 15. Jesus says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. You see what Jesus is doing there? He's taking the, the teaching of the Pharisees and he's turning it on its head completely. He's saying that it's not that there are dirty things outside us that come into contact with our basically pure hearts and makes, makes them unclean. Jesus is saying our hearts already are unclean. Our hearts already bear guilt. Verse 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, uh, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. What's Jesus saying here? Well, he's showing us that even if we could somehow manage to avoid every impure person, every sinner, even if we never engaged in some public uh, ungodly activity, at the end of the day, we would still be unclean sinners outside of Christ. Because even in the privacy of our own hearts, those things that no one sees, those thoughts that no one hears, we would still be quietly nurturing the seeds of every sin. The 19th century uh, English preacher J.C. Ryle once wrote, The wickedness of men 
is often attributed to bad examples, bad company, temptations, or the snares of the devil. And it seems forgotten that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. We need no bad company to teach us, Ryle says, no devil to tempt us in order to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. And Christ's words don't don't shy away from this truth. He actually highlights the uncleanness of our hearts. This is our condition outside of Christ. But it's not just that our hearts are defiled. That would be bad enough, wouldn't it? Jesus says, we have another problem. It's not just that your hearts are defiled. Our understanding is also darkened. We don't see as we should. And that's what we want to look at as we, as we turn to our, to our next point, the darkness of our understanding. N- notice how our, our passage begins here in verse 14. It says, and, and he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Both of those are imperatives. Hear and understand. Now, when we read that, um, that probably doesn't strike you as being very odd. But, but when we look at the Gospels, this is actually a pretty unusual way for Jesus to begin teaching. Uh, all throughout the Gospels, we find Christ speaking to the crowds. But in almost every case, there are crowds that are already around him. Right, people who are witnessing his, his healing or, or following him. And here, unusually, Jesus actually calls the crowd himself. He brings the people together, and before he speaks to them, before he teaches them, he tells them, listen and understand. He's highlighting the importance of his message. Think of it this way. Uh, kids, imagine you're out in your, your yard Your dad kind of pokes his head out the door and says, hey guys, come inside. Now, what has he just done? Well, he's told you to do something. He wants you to come inside. Now imagine that instead of just poking his head out the door and calling to you, he walks out on the porch and he says, kids, come here right now. Listen to what I'm about to say. You need to get inside. Does that feel different, that interaction? One has a lot more weight to it. The fact that he's calling you there, telling you to listen means this is important. I better obey, right? And you would think that because Jesus is doing this, the people would listen to what he had to say and understand what he was teaching them. But when we come to verses 17 and 18, we find the opposite is actually what happens. It says, and and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Think about this. This, These are the disciples, the men who have followed Jesus more closely than anyone else, for years at this point, you can almost hear the frustration in a sanctified way in, in Jesus' voice when he asks, are you also without understanding? Do you not see? What's the problem here? Well, the problem is the disciples' understanding is darkened. 
They're like the little kids in the living room. They're covered in dirt, and they don't even see it. They don't get it. And friends, before we're too hard on the disciples, often we don't get it either. This is probably a familiar passage to you. You've probably read it many times. But if you're like me, when you take the time to kind of put yourself in the scene, you probably see a lot of yourself in the disciples. Just like them, we often fail to see our sin clearly. What is it that keeps us from seeing our sin, from seeing our uncleanness? Well, there are many answers to that, but I think there are maybe two primary ways that, that, we, that we miss what Christ is saying. The first way is, is by denying our uncleanness. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, as we saw earlier, they thought that careful rule-keeping would, would kind of clear the way for them to come to God. And they missed what Jesus was saying about the importance of, of internal holiness because they focused all their attention on external habits. And we can fall into this same trap, can't we? We don't have ritual washings and clean and unclean food today, but, but there are a lot of ways, especially in the church, that we cultivate the idea that, that really it's, it's carefully conforming to our man-made rules that, that makes us clean, that makes us acceptable. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Um, I, I've been in churches, maybe you have as well, that would look down on, on anyone who drinks, even in moderation, as being loose and immoral. While other churches would look down on anyone who, who doesn't drink as being legalistic and immature. I've been part of churches where, where one half of the church was convinced that, that you had to homeschool or you didn't really care about passing on the gospel to your children. Meanwhile, the other half of the church was convinced that if you didn't send your kids to public school, you obviously didn't care about passing on the gospel to the culture. I've seen professing Christians mock and belittle other Christians because of their politics, their denomination, even the translation of the Bible they chose to use. And I've not just seen these things, I've done these things. Probably you have done these things as well. We manufacture a million ways to puff ourselves up and proclaim ourselves clean. We pat ourselves on the back for keeping all the right rules and then categorize other people out there as unclean, defiled. Now, I don't want to minimize any of the issues I just mentioned. The Bible speaks to them. But nowhere does the Bible speak to those issues as the way in which we are made clean before God. And if we define our standing before God on the basis of our observance of, of any external practice, we are missing the meaning of Christ's message. So if that's a danger that our hearts are, are prone to, how can we as Christians fight against that? How can we combat the temptation to deny our uncleanness? Well, I think one way that we can fight against that is by being students of our hearts. If the heart really is the problem, which is what Jesus is telling us, then we need to know our hearts, don't we? 
We need to engage in what we might call self-study. And I think Jesus is actually modeling this for us uh, in verse 21, when he says, for, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, and then he gives this whole list of very specific sins. He doesn't just say, for out of the heart of man come unclean things. Um, he's very specific. And I think that's the point. He's teaching us to be specific. He's, he's forcing us to stare our sins in the face. Now, we don't like to do that. We like to be general about our shortcomings. We'll, we'll rebrand our sins. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? So instead of admitting that uh, our hearts are, are proud and that we can be brash or rude, we'll say things like, well, you know, maybe I can be a bit forceful uh, at times, uh, but I'm really just a direct person. You know, we're Dutch, we're honest. Um, instead of acknowledging that, that the show we're watching really is full of blasphemy, we'll say things like, you know, it, it may be a little uh, off-color or rough, but uh, it's, just, it's just a TV show. It's just, it's just a joke. If we want to confess our uncleanness, though, if we want to fight against this temptation to deny the state of our hearts, we have to be specific. We have to see our hearts the way that Jesus sees our hearts. We have to admit to our pride. We have to admit to our slander. We have to admit to our sexual sin. We can't hide behind uh, general confessions of, of generic guilt. And the good news is, Jesus already knows your heart. He's given us a nice preview here with this list. You're not going to shock Jesus with your confession. He knows you, he knows your sin, and he's calling us in this passage to know ourselves, to know our sins, and to take those specific sins to Christ in repentance and with faith. Well, there's another way that we can uh, misunderstand what Jesus is teaching here. If the first error is to deny our uncleanness, uh, the second error is to downplay it. We know that we're not perfect, uh, but we think that we're, we're good enough. And I think this is actually a really big temptation in our cultural moment uh, today, maybe more so than in other times. Uh, it's, it's actually really easy for us to listen to what Christ says here and, and think that we get what he's saying when we're actually missing it. Um, even if, if you're a non-Christian here tonight, you may listen to this interaction between Christ and the Pharisees and think, yeah, this makes sense. Uh, Jesus is saying that, that God doesn't really care about our actions as much as he does our attitude. He's not obsessing over rules and regulations. That's what the Pharisees are about. He just wants us to have good hearts. Oh, well, that's a message we hear all the time, isn't it? Movies and podcasts and magazines, we're constantly being bombarded with the belief that as long as what we're doing is, is coming out of a heart um, uh, of, of authenticity and sincerity, then it, it has to be okay. As long as we mean well, as long as our intentions are good, then nothing we do can be called immoral or unclean. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not just telling us to be true to ourselves. 
Listen to me. Christ's point is not that the external doesn't matter as long as the internal is okay. Christ's point is that external obedience without internal purity is pointless. And even more basically than that, Christ's point is that none of us are internally pure. It's not just a matter of saying actions aren't a big deal, just make sure your attitude's good. Jesus is saying your attitude is not good. Your heart is the problem. So we'll say things like, well, at least his heart is in the right place. But Jesus says things like, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. You see the difference? Jesus is not showing us a different way to become pure. He's not saying to the Pharisees, oh, you're just a little off the mark. Don't focus on the external. Worry more about the internal. No, Jesus is, is, is not redirecting our efforts for moral self-improvement. He's destroying our efforts for moral self-improvement. He's demolishing our delusions that we can somehow, through what we eat or touch or think or say or do, make ourselves clean. Jesus is showing us clearly, vividly, the state of our hearts. This is what theologians call total depravity, radical corruption. Jesus, with his words, is, is shining a light on every nook and cranny of our hearts, and all he finds there is filth. That's how all of us are outside of Christ. We stand before God as judge, guilty. That brings us to our final point, the gift of guilt. Now, that might sound like a strange phrase. We don't usually think of guilt as a gift. If you give someone guilt this Christmas, they probably won't thank you. Uh, but in this case, it is a gift. We have to ask ourselves, don't we, when we see just how strongly Jesus presses in this truth that we are sinners, we are unclean, we are defiled, you, you ask yourself, why is he doing this? What is Jesus after? Is he out to get us? That's how some people view Jesus. Maybe you view Jesus that way. You see Jesus as a prosecuting attorney. He's someone who's dug through the ruin of your life and he's pulling up all your shortcomings, broadcasting all your faults so he can throw them in your face and then punish you for all eternity. Is that what's happening here? Well, the Bible makes it clear that, that Jesus did not come as a prosecuting attorney. In fact, Jesus himself tells us why he came earlier in Mark's gospel. Pastor Wayne mentioned it uh, earlier in the service. Jesus says in Mark 2, 17, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Did you catch that? Jesus is not the attorney. Jesus is the doctor. He's not revealing our sin so that he can revel in our punishment. He's revealing our guilt so that he might redeem us from it. And we see that so beautifully when we, when we look at this text in its context. Did you notice what story comes right after our passage tonight? 
Right after Jesus talks about the uncleanness of our hearts, we have this beautiful story where Jesus casts out the demon from the daughter of a Gentile woman. And as a Gentile, she was, by definition, unclean. But that doesn't stop Jesus. That doesn't hold back the great physician. And this woman's daughter, who is possessed by an unclean spirit, it says, is healed. What does that teach us? Well, it shows us what Jesus' goal is here. When he reveals our guilt, he does so as a means to an end. And the end, the goal, is that we might be helped and healed just like this woman's daughter. Jesus is honest with us. He's like a doctor who doesn't spare us from from the dark details of our diagnosis. But he has good news for us as well. Though your heart is rebellious, it's not beyond redemption. Though all the wicked deeds of the flesh have, have taken root in your heart, God in Christ is able to make that heart, which we have made so defiled, so unclean, clean once again. He is able and willing to purify. He is able and willing to save. And He calls us to repentance today. To repent means that we we face our sins. It means that we acknowledge all the wicked things we've done, all the anger, all the pride, all the lust. We take all of it and we see it for what it is. That's, that's one part of repentance. But there's another part as well. It's absolutely vital. You see, it's not enough to stare our sin in the face. Judas saw his sin perfectly clearly when he betrayed Christ. And it broke him. It drove him to suicide, not salvation. We do need to stare our sin in the face, but we also need to stare our Savior in the face. We need to see Christ. We need to see that He is the merciful physician. We need to see that He's ready to forgive, ready to receive all who come in repentance and faith. And when we've seen the face of our Savior, we can take our unclean hearts, we can bring them before God in brokenness and in belief. Brokenness over our uncleanness that we see, but belief in the righteous mercy that we see in His heart. That's what this passage is all about. Jesus' goal is to help you see two things. Jesus wants you to see your heart as it is. Jesus wants you to see even more than that, his heart as it is. So as we come to a close tonight, don't miss what Jesus is saying. Remember the two commands he gave the crowd. Before he gave this teaching, what did he say? Listen and understand. Listen to what Jesus says about the significance and the source of your uncleanness. Understand how Jesus' words can can change the way we approach God. Don't deny or downplay the uncleanness of your heart. That's That's where we naturally go. Don't do that. Instead, 
receive the gift of your guilt and take that guilt to God in repentance and faith. And friend, particularly if you are not a Christian here tonight, this is the message that God has for you to hear. If you are a Christian here tonight, this is still the message God would have you hear. It's a message all of us need to hear. It's counterintuitive when we have our sin exposed, as Jesus does here. Uh, we, don't, we don't like it. It doesn't feel good, uh, especially if other people can see our sin. We feel caught. We feel embarrassed. We feel defensive. So in moments like this, when we come to passages like this that just pull back the curtain and we can't help but see ourselves as we are, we need to be reminded that the knowledge of our guilt is actually a gift. It's an invitation to repentance. It's an invitation to renewal. It's an invitation to life. And so all of us need to acknowledge our guilt and embrace our Savior. All of us need to come to Christ day by day. This is not a one-off thing. Day by day in repentance and faith. For only in Him can the unclean become clean. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this message from Your Word. We thank You for Your honesty about our hearts, the seriousness with which you treat our sin. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have eyes to see ourselves as we are, not to deny our sin or to downplay our sin, but to, to own it, to confess it, and to find forgiveness in your perfect and pure heart. Lord, I pray that you would press this message in on us, not only tonight, but in the week to come. And make us passionate, Lord, to share this gospel with all around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.